Welcome to SelfDiscoveryMedia.com, where we discover the communities that are making a difference in the lives of others. Our self-discovery is something we are all making on our life's journey. Here you will find the people that will be your guidance, that will be your inspiration, that will be there for you in support on your journey of life. Do enjoy. Our next show is... Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Choose Positive Living right here on selfdiscoverymedia.com. I'm your host, Sarah Troy, and my wonderful guest today is Radha Ruparel. I hope I did that justice. You did. <laughs> We're going to be talking about her new book, and her new book is Brave Now, Rising Through the Struggle and Unlocking Your Greatest Self. She holds a degree from Harvard University and is um, the top author. She knows what the struggle is all about, which is what we're going to be talking about today. The knee-jerk reaction that we all get and uh, those normal disruptions that come into our lives. And also, you know, um, the big idea. Sometimes it takes a catastrophic event to wake us up. We're diagnosed with life-changing illness, end a long-term relationship, unexpectedly get laid off or face an event with utter, that utterly depends on life as how we know it, COVID, anyone. These turning points can be terrifying, yet we all encounter them in our lives. And the real question is, is how do we face them? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. How do we face them? I call it kind of the cosmic two by four. <laughs> it comes along. It's been dropping hints. It's been tapping us on the shoulder. You need to change directions. We don't pay attention. And next thing you know, wackaroo. And here we are, that catastrophic event. What was the event for you, love? And welcome to the show. Thank you, Sarah. Nice to be with you. So, yeah, the event for me was last April at the peak of the global pandemic, living in New York City, I got ill with COVID. And just to paint a picture of this, it was the beginning of the pandemic, New York City was just shutting down. It was a bit of a frenzy. You couldn't get anything in stores. And this was at a point where I didn't even know anyone who had been ill yet with, with the virus. Um, and before that, I was healthy. I was healthy in mind and body. I had just done a seven-day silent meditation retreat. Um, and then in just a moment, I had this turning point in my life where life just turned completely upside down. Yeah. It can knock you for six, can't it? You know, I mean, you know, we, we're kind of prepared for certain things happening in our lives because we know they do. Okay, you have a reaction and we're going to deal with it and move on. But something like COVID comes along, which is still along. You know, it's, it's outstayed its welcome, yet it still hangs along. And it's changed so many people's lives in so many ways. But actually getting sick from it too is... You know, it, it then becomes more fearful because really at that point, it is a life and death thing, right? Yeah, and that's exactly what it was. Again, I was just a healthy, active New Yorker. And in a matter of days, I yeah. became so, so ill, right? And so, you know, I faced bouts of fatigue like someone had drugged me with sleeping pills. I had my heart would race at 150 beats in the middle of the night. I would be facing struggles, just breathing. Um, and at that point, Again, because the hospitals were all full. You know, I had friends who were doctors who said, stay at home unless you're on your last legs. And eventually I ended up there. But for weeks, you know, I would go to bed terrified. Am I going to wake up in the morning? And I think these moments in life when, yeah, we face life and death, it just changes us. And so it definitely changed me in many, many different ways. Most definitely. My, my daughter did get it as well, actually. But she was fortunate enough to have a very light reaction you know she uh, the chest was really tight and um, she had been a smoker in the past thank god she wasn't smoking anymore um a, a great deal of fatigue yes uh, but it just kind of lasted two three weeks and took a few weeks to come out of it and we're blessed that you know it was a, a light one my cousin-in-law got it and he was what three and a half weeks on a ventilator and they weren't sure he was going to make it and recovery has been extremely long. So while we talk about this uh, virus as an inconvenience and taking away our rights, it literally is changing people's lives from the health perspective, never mind anything else. And have you had any residual from it? 
Yeah, so I'm actually one of the people that they now call long haulers. So it's more than a year out and I still have not recovered my full health. I'm, I'm really grateful because so much has changed. Like here I am, Sarah, sitting and speaking with you. Um, and yet a lot of life, as I know, has changed. And so I still have waves of fatigue that come up if I exert myself mentally or physically. You know, I used to play a lot of sports and now I'm able to walk, but I'm not able to do anything more than that um, because if I do, I'll be bedridden um, and a few other symptoms that keep coming up. And so I think that's actually been one of the hardest parts is that, you know, when we get over that extreme part, starting to accept that life as I know it is now going to be different. I actually have to adjust my lifestyle. And in some ways, it's a bit of a loss of the person I used to be. Um, I'm accepting kind of a new way of living, um, especially in a world where things are uncertain. So I've been to 20 different doctors and, you know, none of them have the answers. And so that's another thing. How do you deal with this uncertainty where no one really has the answers yet? The problem is with the residual, you don't know how it's changed your life. You know, right, you can walk and you're looking at the, the cup half full, not empty. Um, I can do things where other people have literally lost their lives, but it has taken a great deal of your life away from you, the sports and everything else. And I think, you know, the lesson learned here is that we don't know what's going to hit us. Right now, we know it's that COVID out there. Anybody can get it. Um, everybody's going to have a different reaction to it. Um, and for some people like my daughter, it, you know, she doesn't seem to have any residual from it. And then here you are a year on. And I think, you, you know, the first onslaught seemed to be very vicious. And I think a lot of people that have had the residual was in the first onslaught there. Um, then it kind of mutated and maybe didn't have that longevity for people afterwards. But changing one's life, you know, that again is that cosmic two by four. All right, you can't do X, Y, and Z right now. Never know if you can do it again in the future. But what are you going to do with it now? How are you going to see the gift in this? And when you're in it, and all these things have been taken away from it, it's extremely hard to see a gift in something, isn't it? Yes, yes, it is. And so in the first month or two, it was just hard to get out of that. But I love what you said is, the, the word around seeing the gift. And I think over the coming months, that's what I ended up seeing. And that's actually what I write a lot about in my book, because in my day job, my work is around leadership development. Mm -hmm. So I work with business leaders and CEOs and social entrepreneurs. These days, I work with leaders across the world who are reimagining education to grow their leadership. And so a lot of the lessons that I work with on, on with them on, I had to apply to myself. And one of the things that I, I work with them on is how do we, even when we're going through challenging situations, see the good in it? How do we lean into the strength? So I think one of the gifts that I got from this past year and going through this illness was the opportunity to slow down and be present. Yeah. And I think for many of us, that's been the same. So in fact, we've seen this collective slowdown. And, you know, I recall the specific moment, Sarah, and it was after a month in isolation. So I was battling this, this virus alone in my New York apartment. And finally, the doctor said, you're safe to go outside. And I remember that day, it was, it was end of April, beginning of May, a beautiful spring day. And I walked outside, and I took a breath of fresh air and I took a few steps and I noticed these flowers outside of my apartment that have probably been there for six years and I had never noticed them before. And so I think this gift of when we go through something life-changing like this, all these things around us that we've taken for granted, walking, a breath of fresh air, you know, being able to literally smell the flowers in front mm. of us we start noticing these things in a different way. And so that is just, just one of many gifts that I've, I've, I've gotten, this ability to pause and slow down and notice all the good that's already around me. I, you know, I always say that the, the gift of the present is in the now. And that's right. so busy and society has told us we have to move forward. We've got to be constantly on the go. You've got to attack tomorrow, yesterday. And nobody says about, what about today? What about today? Can I just simply walk today and pay attention to what's around me today? Be grateful for what I've seen, what I've learned, what I learned about myself. We've just 
been taught that the foot has to be on the fifth gear all the way. And we miss the purpose of living by doing that. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, one of the most counterintuitive things about falling sick was in the first few months, I started returning back to work. But because of the way the illness worked, I could work for a couple of hours, and then I'd have to lie down and rest for an hour, Mm -hmm. and then work for a couple of hours. So technically, I lost time in the day. But because Sarah, I was able to be so present. In fact, I wrote little love notes to myself around the apartment. And one of them was, don't waste, don't waste the good moments. And I put it in front of me right at my workstation. And because I was present, time, even though I lost hours in the day to resting, it actually felt like it expanded. And so that's one of the things that I'm going to take with me, even as my health has improved, is how do I in every moment just be with the person I'm at? with like fully present, enjoy, if I'm going out for a walk, enjoy the breath of fresh air. And that's just been amazing. Yeah. You know, the thing about this eight hours work you got to put in and it's, you know, got to project, 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 project forward. Um, if we work smartly, we don't have to work as long. Yes. As you say, yes. when, you know, taking that two hour nap, coming back, you're refreshed, you're engaged, you're in the moment, you can see what's needed to do now, which actually takes care of the next moment. But if we're so busy in the next moment, it just lengthens the amount of time to finding a solution or, you know, doing anything. You know, we talk, the shamans and the monks and everybody else that just, you know, I always say grasshopper, <laughs> patience grasshopper. Patience is not something as human beings we have. We want it now, especially in a world of instant gratification, instant this, just download an app and you've got it. And we're missing that beautiful process. And if we are missing the process, we're missing the meaning of being here. You're so, you're so right. And I think one of, again, the great things about this era is because there has been so much disruption, Mm. it's actually forced us to get off autopilot, right? So for example, because I could only work a few hours in the day, I used to be terrible at saying no. If a colleague asked me to do something, I would just want to do it out of a sense of responsibility. But when I had half the time in the day, my, my, my whole work life was disrupted, I had to learn to say no. And so I had to learn also how to get spend more time with myself and get clear on what's important. You know, another example of that, Sarah, I said, you know, I used to love to exercise and now I'm not able to, but one of the most beautiful things about that is my doctor said I could walk. Yes. Now I have this park five minutes away from my house. I've been living there for, for six years and I rarely went. Now, every single day I go to the park and I enjoy a walk. And so I think there's something amazing about disruption when we actually allow it to get us off of autopilot. And when we start asking the question, why am I doing what I'm doing right now? Is this the most important thing? And I think that also requires us to take time to pause and connect with ourselves, which is something, you know, especially in the Western world, we don't do as much. Yeah. Yeah. And we think the 10, 15 minute meditation in the morning, you know, is all that we need to do. No, it's about being, being the mountain amongst the chaos, right? And being able to go to the park, walk around or even sit there watch the puppy dogs chasing a ball, watch the kids playing with something, watch the bees and the flowers. You know, you become so engaged with this beautiful existence of life in their existence. It just kind of mirrors back to you and go, what is your existence? Are you honoring it? It doesn't matter how good you are at your job, but what are you doing for you? Your inner heart, your inner soul, your inner beingness. Because when you slow everything down in slow motion, that's when you start paying attention. It's so true. You know, this reminds me, Sarah, of a story of when I first started going to the park. Again, I'm a New Yorker. I used to have my headphones on. I'd listen to a podcast. And then after months of doing that, I started just going to the park and being in the park. Mm-hmm. And I remember this one day where I looked at this tree. I just lay beneath this tree. and It must have been 200 years old. And I started thinking about its roots and the history. And that day I went home and I called my mother and I started asking her about my history, my family, my grandparents, where did they come from? 
And I work in education. And what I never had known before is that I come from a long line of educators. You know, my grandmother was a headmistress in a school in, in uh, Africa. My great uncle had created one of the first girls' school in a small village in India. And I had never paused long enough to ask about my history. And it was when I was sitting there underneath a tree, just looking at it with curiosity that all these questions came up. And so Again, one of the other things I talk about a lot in my book is how do we approach life with play and curiosity and wonder and questions just like, you know, children do? And how do we how do we bring more of that into our own lives? We look at children as being immature. I disagree. Children are being children and they're grabbing life by the horns and they're living every second of it. And we have decided we're more important, we're hyphenated, we, you know, I, know, I can't be seen having fun. You know, <laughs> some business, you know, and having fun is drinking at an expensive dinner and each patting each other on the back. No, that is not fun. That is not authenticity. That is not inner connection. That is just living up to societal's expectation. And what's it doing for you? Really nothing. Because yeah. no matter how rich or famous or uh, or how much you climb the ladder. If you're not connected to your inner self, who, who's up there? Because Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I have to tell you a funny story. So I have uh, six nieces and nephews all under the age of 10, and I get so much inspiration from them. And when I visit my nieces and nephews in London, one of the, my favorite things that they do is when they're sitting there for breakfast, they put music on, dance music on, and so they're sitting, bopping, having breakfast. And those days when I listened to music with them, I would go to work with so much energy. So in my first couple of months when I was really sick and I was struggled to get out of bed, I remembered them. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember there was this one Bollywood Bhangra dance tune called Radha on the Dance Floor. And so I would actually put that on in the morning when I couldn't get out of bed. And all of a sudden, I'd find myself getting out of bed. And it was just learning from children who are not afraid to be silly and not afraid to play. And I'm like, what if we could bring that energy into all aspects of our life? Why do we have to get so serious and significant? Yeah. You know, you used to, you know, wonder. And I I think if we could be more wondrous, you know, we are explorers by nature. We are discoverers. You know, we're always looking to seek what's out there, right? Right but we forget to seek what's in here. That's right. Self-discoveries, it's always the external. If you could be wondrous over who you really are and what you're capable of, instead of being dictatorial or demanding, um, we would actually understand the beautiful gift and essence we really are. Exactly, and and you know, again, one of the things in this time is we've had a little bit more time mm-hmm. To, to pause. And I think the, the challenge is that many of us don't pause because we get scared about what we're going to discover. And right now in our society, anytime we start getting close to that, we can turn on a smartphone or look at social media or have a glass of wine or some people work like workaholics because we're scared about what we're going to discover. And what, what I think scares us is we'll discover our full humanness. So that is our strengths, our limitations, our blind spots, our fears. And so one of the things that I realize is, so what? (laughs) So what if we can just accept ourselves as perfectly imperfect, just like everyone else? Mm -hmm. You know, then instead of focusing on the things that scare us, we can say, sure, I have fears, but Mm -hmm. I also have hopes. Sure, I have exactly limitations, but I also have strengths. And how can I accept all of myself? And, you know, one of the things that I've learned is when we start accepting ourselves, we can be so much more giving and generous when we're with others, instead of projecting all our insecurities on others. Uh, You know, forgiving of oneself is something that we have to do because we kind of just children were beautiful, innocent, innocent, authentic people. And then we went to school and society dictated that we should be this and we should be that. And we all had to step up to that role, even though it was an illusion and we lost ourselves doing it. Um, but the, the whole thing about bringing that childlike person out in you, 
that same wonderment, that same exploration, um, and looking, you know, forgiving yourself for anything that you now know, God, oh God, how did I do that? Why did I do that? You were reacting on all programming. Don't beat yourself up, but be aware. It's your aware flag that's come up. You know, you look back in horror of things that you've done in the past or said, but let it go. Just be aware to be more conscious of what you do in the future. And forgiveness of oneself of what, who we've been needs to really come out so that we can actually embrace ourselves in that discovery of what is to come out. But if you're still beating yourself up or feeling guilty over something, it's very hard for the, inner, the new inner you to come out. Yeah, and I discover this almost on a daily basis for my first few months because, you know, there was a point when I was not getting better. And like you said, this disease affected different people in other ways. So I would look at others and say, well, they made it through in three weeks or they made it through in six weeks. Why is it that six months later, I'm still struggling? Am I not physically strong enough? Am I not mentally strong enough? Wait, I do work with leaders to grow their inner strength. Why can't I do it? Right. And that kind of language was so damaging. And, you know, what was so funny is the people around me were so much more generous with me than I was being with myself. And that's when I just realized, wait, I have to stop and be gentle with myself. I'm going through something new. Mm -hmm. And so, again, another one of my love notes to myself was be gentle with yourself. And when I found that I was, again, it was just I was able to be so much more free and compassionate with others. So I love what you said, Sarah. It's being aware so we don't you know, repeat things over and over again, but at the same time, allowing ourselves to be human. <laughs> like that's just the basics of it. Mm. And you know, to understand it's not about a destination. You know, that is kind of when we reach the end of our lives. We've, we've reached the end. This body now is, has expired, the spirit of <laughs> learning. Um, but it is about all the many destinations you're going to make along the way, all those wonderful discoveries, people that you meet. And have you found you always seem to meet the right person at the time? You know, the teacher will appear when you need to know, right? You're receptive. If you're busy walking around with the headphones on, not paying attention to anyone, there's somebody there that you need to sit down next to and have a conversation with. You can't force it. You can't dictate it. You can't order it. But you can be in tuned with that feeling, you know, I need to sit down for a moment. I don't know why. I don't need to know why. Whatever I'm meant to see, hear, and feel right now is where I'm meant to be, right? Exactly. And I, I, <laughs> and I can think of so many people in my life. Like one of the things that helped me through this was incredible people. And I just felt blessed that all the right people showed up in the right way, right from my mother, who is so strong and resilient and watching her for 30 years overcome hardships gave me a lot of grace when I was dealing with it. Or a colleague from work who we were colleagues before, not even close friends, but when I first fell sick, she started reaching out to me and texting me every day to just check in. And to this day, still mm. does. That's wonderful. And what I learned from that was, you know, I had, I had grown up in a way that you stay strong, you project strength. And all of a sudden I learned, actually, it's okay to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. um, you know, to another friend of mine who, who is just, you know, shows up. And, yeah. um, and so when I, was, when I was not well, I didn't have the energy to plan things. And she mm -hmm. would walk two hours because she didn't want to take the subway uh, in these times and meet me in my local park. So I would have somewhere to go. And so you just start realizing that people in your life have different strengths. You know, mm -hmm. someone is resilient. Someone is amazingly reliable. Someone is a great organizer. And each of them can, can teach you a lesson and each of them can offer you something if you're willing to receive it. So I've learned a lot around being able to receive help. And, and in some ways, I used to think, that implies weakness. And now I think it shows strength. Well, we, we, we look at strength, you know, like right now in the Olympics, of course, we look at it as the physical strength. You don't realize the mental strength, right? It comes very much into it, but also our spiritual strength. Yes. And it's a strength that is abundant, but we, you know, it's, you have to tune into it. And again, everybody's so used to digital, just pressing a button. And I don't know if you're a Harry Potter fan, 
but to get, I am. <laughs> right, so to, to get to the school, we had to go through, you know, the nine and a half uh, train thing when nobody else could see it. And sometimes it is that fine tuning, slowing down, tuning in to that right channel, because the spirit has always got the knowingness. Yes. You know, the soul speaks to that and it can't speak to a closed heart. So the heart always has to be willing to be open in order to learn, to feel, to grow. But when the spirit can come through and really speak to us in that wisdom, then, you know, we really do know what we need to know. The brain can just, it's okay. I know what to do. The spirit spoke to me. And it takes you on a totally different journey of of that wonderment, of that self-discovery. But you just become a more of a fine-tuned instrument, which I think is wonderful. Because, again, we're missing so much of ourselves by being in a hurry all the time. What are we chasing? We're chasing approval, permission to be. I've got to be the top of the game, and then people will like me and think me important. You are important from the moment that you were conceived. You yes. must be important. Your job is something you're good at, like the Olympics. They've achieved the gold, the silver, the bronze. They're not the gold, the silver, or the bronze. They're people who have achieved it. And if we could look at our careers as something we've achieved, but don't lose identity in that, always be ourselves, who is ourselves, who are you that, is, that can achieve this? Because we become, we, we lack these labels on ourselves. I am this, right? No, you do this. Like you have an illness now from delayed COVID. You're not your illness. Yes, yes. And, and Sarah, this, this distinction that you're bringing up of this idea of the difference between doing and being is so important. So I think we spend so much of our lives thinking about what are we doing? What's the next milestone? What's my next accomplishment? But I will tell you, when my life flashed before my eyes, I did not think about any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. The question I asked myself was, who was I being? Was I kind to my family and friends? You know, was I generous? That's a big value of mine, generosity and kindness. To and so actually, that should have been the first question. Do yourself. That's, that's right. Start, start with ourselves and then, and then, and then with others. And you know, I have a friend of mine who says, we shouldn't have a to-do list. We should have a to-be list. Yes, and I so agree. Yes. I, I think about that all the time. What if we can be more intentional about who we're being? Because then we don't have to wait. You know, I don't have to wait for that perfect relationship to find love. I can be love now. I don't have to. No, on that for a second, please. Yes. <laughs> this, this, we don't want to brush over this. You, you don't have to be in love to know love. Mm. be love mm. you can have all the love for yourself that everybody else is chasing externally from someone else that's right be that's the right. Love that you are be it don't do it be it because that's when your heart essence shines out and if somebody comes along that complements that love in a form of friendship or partnership hallelujah right but you've got to be that love that beacon of love first i'm so glad you brought that up Yes. And it just emanates when you are that way. Like you notice people who bring that energy and they're just full of it. And, you know, people ask me, well, how did you, how did you survive COVID when you were all alone? And truthfully, I didn't feel that at all because I was able to be love, be mm -hmm. joy. And then when I was there, I just discovered that energy would come to me from so many different places friends, family members, but even strangers. You know, I remember um, at one point I, had, I, I was about to lose consciousness. And so I had to call, call 911. And at this point I needed support and help. And there was a paramedic and his name is Carl. I still look out for him every time I walk by my local hospital because I want to say thank you. And I haven't been able to track him down. But in that moment, you know, he was able to give me so much love and compassion. I had, you know, been struggling to get answers. And this was a busy man going from door to door. And he just sat down with me for 10 minutes and said, here's what you do when you're next struggling to breathe. Uh, and I've got you. And are you okay? And just provided some of that love back. And this was a complete stranger. And I still think about him. And I still keep him in my thoughts uh, 
in the evenings and try to send positive energy as way because I think when you emanate it, uh, others emanate it as well. Yeah. And, you know, there is somebody that's in the right job for the right reason. Yes. Yes. I recently saw a posting of a, a cop, you know, sitting, um, having pizza, which he bought for a homeless woman and sitting there eating it with her. Wow. Ask, you know, automatically our society, oh, they're homeless. That means they're lazy or they're drug addicts. They're disgusting. Right. Nobody knows how close one can come to homelessness. That's right. A pandemic definitely has shown people, you know, don't be too secure in your security um, or in your judgment of others. Because, you know, by the grace of God, that could be me. Right. And compassion, I think, is something we don't see enough of. And what he, yes. he gave you the greatest gift, time. And he gave you compassion to put you at ease. And if yes. so many more would do that, I don't think we would see so much dis-ease or dysfunction out there. Because a lot of the frustration is people who just need to be heard or seen. Yes. And, I, and Sarah, this idea of just feeling heard is so important. When I do work with leaders, one of the capacities I'm trying to develop both in adults, but also in young people is the capacity to listen. Yes. And I think this capacity of having someone feel heard is so important. On a personal level, in my first two, three months, I would go from doctor to doctor to doctor. And, you know, I also have compassion for them because they were dealing with hundreds of patients and high degrees of uncertainty, having to do telehealth when they've never done that before. And so and having to triage many different patients, but there was moments where I didn't feel heard. I remember this one experience with a doctor and he looked at me and said, honey, you might just be anxious. You know, maybe you should do some, some yoga. The next day I ended up in the emergency room and a few days later they found a lesion in my brain. And so it was actually real, but he wasn't able to hear me. I remember a couple months later, I finally found a doctor who listened and he heard me and he said, do you know what? I don't have all the answers, but I hear what you're going through and I know others are going through and we can't give you the answers yet, but I'm sorry you're going through this and I will try to help you. And I was nearly moved to tears because I had been going around from doctor to doctor to doctor trying to get help. I didn't need the answers, but I needed someone to acknowledge what I was going through and in that space, we were able to do something together. And so just that, that, that ability to feel heard. And it, and it was in your head. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It was a lesion. <laughs> but, um, you know, I had many, many years ago, I had an atrophic pregnancy and I didn't know. And I mm. went to the doctor and he goes, ah, oh, you know, you just been your take these tranquilizers. And then I got, um, I ended up in hospital uh, oh, wow. with, with some excruciating pain. And the main doctor is like, I don't know what's wrong with you. We'll just send you home tomorrow. And a young doctor there, an intern, said, no, I want to do a lapscotomy. And then they found a dead baby in the tube. And I was lucky because, of course, if they grow, they can burst and they can kill you. And immediately went into surgery. There was a doctor that was willing to look at further at the problem, where so many doctors like just to put it down. You're just being hysterical. You're just being this. You're just being that. Yes. We know when there's something wrong with our body. Yes. No yes. We're out of sorts. Yes. But yeah. I know a hypochondriac that sat at that hospital several times a week. You know, they got the chair ready for her waiting because they know she's going to come in with something, right? Because she goes online and diagnoses herself. So yes. I, I can't blame them when they're faced with that. But when somebody comes to you and says, I'm really hurting, I don't know where it is. You're not the mechanic. You haven't taken the car pieces and put it back together again. Yes. But doctors should listen. And if they're burnt out, if they say to you, you know what, I am so stressed out with this right now, right? I'm going to help you the best way I can. But because there's a pandemic, I'm being stretched thin. Let's go start with some tests so we know what we're dealing with. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And that's what you need. And, and again, I have a lot of comp and, and I think you're right. You know, when we can start listening to our bodies, I think this is an underdeveloped capacity, yes. Yes. you know, understanding the body. I think there's so many signals in our body. So I've learned this a lot through this, through this past year, because I had to learn to listen to myself in a new way. But I think it's going to serve me in life because now if my shoulders are tensed up, I can feel I'm stressed. My jaw is clenched. Yes. It might be a moment to say, 
let me disengage from this interaction until I'm ready. But I think the second point around, around you know, doctors is, again, I don't think we're doing justice by our frontline workers. You know, we put them in positions where they're busy moving from patient to patient every 10 minutes. And so I do the think- on the line, literally. Yeah, yes. yeah. And they're dealing with pre-TSD and, and PTSD and, you know, I have friends who are doctors. And so I think, you know, if we really want to create some spaciousness in our society, we should start by finding ways to create that for the people who serve us, whether that is teachers or doctors, so they have permission and space to do this deeper work that we're talking about as well. Right. Yeah, I actually had a doctor on, um, and she's saying that, you know, that she's never had to tell so many people about their loved ones dying in her entire career. And, uh, you know, and it's a really hard thing to do. Uh, And they, and this, you know, and the thing is, is that a lot of the loved ones haven't been able to be there at the bedside and the nurses and the doctors have had to step up and be that kind of companion, but then they're being pushed and rushed by other people, you know, to go and do something else. And, and excuse me, I'm going to sneeze. No, think Mm -hmm. wrong. Don't sneeze. (laughs) And yeah. And this wasn't just for three months or so then lockdown. They're still in it. Yes, and yes. Like you said a lot of people are going to leave the profession just because they're so burnt out. Yes, we yes. have a shortage of nurses and doctors. We have a shortage of doctors here in BC, in Canada. Oh, wow, wow. And it's, it's like, so I have friends who are doctors and what I'm realizing is it's like soldiers going to war, but we're not acknowledging it. And while we can go through the ups and downs and the waves and have you know, a bit of a relief, they're dealing with this on a day-to-day basis. And so I think it's a silent crisis that unless we start paying more attention, again, we're gonna lose great people from the profession and we need to provide yeah, our frontline supporters with that type of, um, uh, frontline workers with that type of support. Yeah. Uh, and you know, let's be fair, it's also the people that drive the, the nurses and doctors to it, the bus drivers, the yes. cops uh, under exposure. Yes. Uh, all the people that have kept the food stores open for us. Yes, you know? yes, exactly. All the people that have switched from whatever job they had and now doing DoorDash and on skip the dishes and all of that because people have had to pivot and reinvent themselves. And, and if they've got a family to feed and uh, or, you know, got to sustain themselves. And it's like, whatever I have to do, I have to do it. And there's some people who say, well, I have to be this cashier here. I have to pray I don't get it because... I've got a family to feed to, to every single person that's put themselves on the line there. We owe them a great debt. And I do hope at some point we do recognize that. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And, and this is where I think, you know, sometimes we've lost our way as a society around what do we focus on? You know, there's such a focus on materialism or capitalism or, you know, getting the next dollar or getting fame. When I think about some of these deeper questions, you know, are we doing right by people in society? Um, Are we treating others with compassion? What are the biggest challenges that we want to work on? So a lot of the work that we do with young people in in the global network that I work in Teach for All is, how do we even think about our education systems that grow a broader set of competencies? So it's not just about academics, which is important, but it's around building agency, um, building the curiosity to ask these deeper questions, building a sense of connectedness, focusing on their own well-being and the well-being of others. And so I wonder if from a young age, we can actually start asking ourselves, what does it mean to be human? And how do we start shifting our society so that we focus on these things that are more important versus just our own individual gain? Yeah, we measure education by grades, you know, by whether they're 100%, 90%. And what we have forgotten to do is to measure the compassion and humanity. Um, yes. I was watching one of the Olympics and it was the skateboarding. And in there, there was a 12-year-old and a 13-year-old, believe it or not. They were pros, you know, managed to get to the Olympics. The 13-year-old came in as a, as a, a, a bronze, she was British, and it was two Japanese people. And I think one of the Japanese people was 19, the other one was 12. And one of them that was expected to win fell. And wow. every single one of those gymnastics, uh, the, those skateboarders, didn't matter what country they came from, they came up and f- literally picked her up on their shoulders 
to come because she had lost, you know, they knew she had lost the medal at that time. And if, why can't we do that for everybody? Yes. Why does it have to just be, you know, they're they're all in the sport, they they all leg each other on. If somebody gets the gold, great. But, you know, it's, it's about that camaraderie. We've forgotten how to be comrades with each other. We've yes. had to be compassionate with each other. We've forgotten how to live in the now, in the moment, the gift of the present. Um, we've forgotten empathy. And we've stepped on this righteousness and this judgment and this damning people. Where is that coming from? Well, you know, you've got somebody spilling that out. The turmoil is inside themselves. And they've got no yes. place to put it other than dumping on everyone else. Right, right. Although one thing I have to say, Sarah, is... I think there is actually more compassion out there than we realize. And yet I think the way that we're oriented and the, what the media projects almost makes us think about it's all bad. And I actually have to say in this last year, I've seen more examples of compassion than ever before. So I remember um, you know, in my building when the local hospital didn't have uh, personal protective equipment. And somebody in my building had a 3D printer and reached out to a bunch of other people and said, okay, how do we create masks? You know, another example is in the last year, 1.5 billion children have been out of school. And so in this global network that I work in, Teach for All, we have young people all around the world who serve as teachers. And I have seen such incredible innovation and creativity, you know, you know, in places like Uganda and India and Armenia, you have these teachers who are walking, you know, two hours to meet with parents and creating schools in, you know, underneath a tree outside and have such incredible creativity and compassion. And so one of the things I also think we need to do is start looking for these stories and elevating them at the same level that we elevate all these stories of what's not working i think if we can pause and start notice what, what is noting we might actually see a lot more good in humanity than we've actually come to realize from from again mass media and social media well, that's the reason why i do my shows you know yes look at the you know the the fox news i call it you know the fox news problem take a pimple make it into a volcanic corruption because they know that fear sells they also know that's the way to control people like control their spending control everything else they do and so basically things switch off the news. Yes. Yeah. Don't buy into that hysteria and that hurricane because once it's got you, it's very hard to get out of that constant spin. And to ask yourself, is this really true? Does it matter to me in a way that I can do something about it? Or does it help promote me to go and do something for someone else? And, yes. you know, I've, I started this nine years ago, and at that time, I was looking at humanity going, gosh, you know, it really sucks. Do I want to stay around? And then ordinary people doing extraordinary things, and some of the stories I've heard have just been, I don't know how they're still walking, you know, how they're still facing life with what they've gone through. That strength, that courage, that resilience, that tenacity is such an example to all of us. And, you know, what we, what we uh, water, the seeds that we water is what's going to grow. So if you plant those seeds of possibilities without again, that's right. We let them grow at their own level. We just nurture them and water them. We're just going to see some wonderful growth there. Beautiful garden of such love and vibrancy. So yes, we need to pay attention to that. All that negativity out there, uh, switch it off. Don't buy into it. Don't comment to it. Uh, Comment to it on, on Facebook or anything else, right? Pass it by. Because if you're not feeding them, they're going to dwindle out. Yes, yes. Actually, my mother showed me something. I'm visiting family here in Canada for the week. So I had a chance to spend some time with her. And she showed me this post, you are what you eat. But it's also you are what you consume in terms of in, a, uh, in terms of information. So I think we have a responsibility around what we consume. And then I think it's amazing, Sarah, that we have people like you who are also responsible about putting out stories of possibility out there. I think, again, each of us can contribute in, in our own way. And I love that you're creating a space for folks to have an opportunity to think about how do we live positively uh, in a world where we're oftentimes getting the opposite messages. Yeah, it's choice. I mean, you got dealt with a bad hand here with COVID. Uh, it's limited you. You know, I don't know, have they been able to fix 
what's in your brain. Um, you know, you're clearly still in it because you haven't gained full mobility and you don't know if you will or not because this is new territory, right? right yeah. And so you're going through all of this, but you chose to write a book about being present in that the now, all the gifts that you've received from being uh, from, from this song, cosmic two by four flattening you instead of like the why me, you know, looking yes. at it and go, okay, this sucks, but what can I do with it? Yes, yes. Yeah. And I, yeah, and actually something I write about in my book is that it's in every moment we have a choice. And, you know, my book is called Brave Now, but I believe everyone can be brave and it's a choice we can make in every moment, right? And so, you wake up in the morning and you have a bad day or you do something we were talking about forgiveness where you're frustrated at yourself well in every moment from this moment on i can choose who i want to be yes. how i want to be and so that's a beautiful thing that we as human beings that that separates us from animals we have a choice and we can make that choice in any moment and for me that's one of the most powerful things because no matter what's happened before in every moment i know i can make a choice I say, even if you abstain from making a choice, you're still making a choice. Right? Yes, yes, that's right. Yes, the thing is neutral. That was your choice. <laughs> that's right. Yes, that's right. And, and a lot of people who, who don't believe in themselves or haven't taken that journey yet, haven't found that inner self-love, they're still very much dictated by what's around them. Yes. You know, as a past counselor, I always used to say to them, this is the time of solitude. It's not the time that you need people around you egging you on. This is the time you have to go in. Yes, yourself. Um, I very much believe in mirror talk. Have a conversation in the mirror. Very hard to pull the wool over your eyes. And be, <laughs> looking in the mirror, your mirror looks back and goes, "Really, mate?" You know. And that time of nurturing, nurturing your heart, soul, and spirit. Uh, literally cuddling yourself. I mean, I sleep with a teddy bear. All right. <laughs> I kiss my teddy bear good morning and every morning because it's giving me comfort through the night. Right? Because you know I miss hugging someone. There's always things that we can do, but it is that choice to go, no matter the hand I, I've been held, um, I can still choose to do something else. I have had fibromyalgia now for going on nearly 24 years. It's limited a great deal to what I can and cannot do physically. Uh, one of the things, because it sounds very much, I wouldn't be surprised if your post thing doesn't come up as an identity of fibromyalgia. I'm sure it might. Uh, because it's very much to your, you know, your lack of energy, um, you know, the kind of feeling slow, feeling stiff, needing to rest, rejuvenate a lot. That's very much to do with fibro. And if we push ourselves too far, we're going to pay the price. But yes. what we do is look at it and go, okay, all right, I recognize you're here. And at this present moment, you're not going anywhere. But we've got to live together. So you can let me know when you're really tired and I have to rest and I will listen to you. Yes, yes. Be there for me when I have to be productive and give me the energy I need. And it really becomes a partnership with your, with your challenge. I'm not even going to call it a sickness, with your challenge, right? Because you're having to live differently, but it doesn't mean life is over. Yes, yes. And I just believe you can always hold two things in intention. So for me, the two things I hold in, you know, it's almost like I hold them both in each hand and I say both can be true. And one is acceptance, you know, mm -hmm. acceptance on a day-to-day -day basis for exactly what you said. There will be moments I will not have the level of energy that maybe I'd hoped, but at the same time, I'm an optimist. Yes. And so I will have hope. And I think the, the thing, one of the things that I, I, I think a lot about is language and what we hope for. And so in the past, I might have said, I hope for perfect health. And I've just given up on that. Now I hope for, I will have the capacity to deal with any circumstance that life gives me. And just a shift in language, yeah. um, but that ability to hold those two things, I can both accept, like I love that, you're, the, the idea of partnership, I can accept you. And there's times when I'm going to search for something different. And when I'm able to be with both, then, you know, I say, I, I often say what we resist persists, but when we let go of that resistance, again, we just have a bit more freedom, freedom to be. Yeah. Humor is very important, isn't it? You know, we, we've not, you know, not just switching on the TV and laughing at a comedy show, but, you know, being able to even laugh at ourselves. Oh yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to Montreal in September with my 88-year-old um, landlady, and uh, she is five foot dot, 
the other day somebody dropped the leash of a dog because the dog was chasing something and she ran three blocks <laughs> dog so the flights were taking there's only 40 minutes between them and that means by the time they've landed and they've opened up the door and they've let you out we're going to have to do a dash so my joke to her is you run ahead like get the keep the doors open and tell uh-huh. me an old lady on the way <laughs> because <laughs> at all and she's a sprinter I mean she's still everything about her is a dash right yeah. and I could go oh I can't walk or run that fast no it's just make like make fun of yourself because there are things you can't do anymore you miss them but you've got to laugh at it because otherwise you'll cry Oh, and so, yeah, I know. One of the jokes I have is I'm walking around the park and there's 80 year olds who are laughing me. And instead of instead of making that uh, something to be worried about, I just have a lot of fun with it now. I'm like, there they go. Yeah, they're they're getting some energy out of it. And so I love that. I love this idea of um, my my son-in-law keeps sending wonderful pictures um, of the baby. But sometimes uh, he also sent a picture of um, other relatives. Um, one of them is my ex with a belly dancer <laughs> poses the faces but it's hilarious but you know, if we want to know what it's like to run let's go and put it on an Olympian's face our face on their body and pretend it's us you know? exactly exactly no, I just love I lo- head right <laughs> I, I, I love I love this idea of humor even sometimes when I have these automatic thoughts that keep coming up like I'm never gonna get better I sometimes laugh at myself and like that mirror talk, just say it loud, haha, that rather there you go again. Look at that silly thought that's coming through your head. And again, when it's when we don't get so serious about things, when we can make a few jokes, um, it just it just keeps things lighter and it also allows others around us to be a bit lighter because some of these things can be difficult for other people to talk about. They don't know how to be around you, they don't know the right thing to say, but if they find that you can have some fun with it, then they can have some fun with it too. And they can have some fun with whatever they're dealing with. I think if you can make light fit yourself, you're putting people at ease. I did a show recently on, you know, how to speak to people after they've lost a loved one. Yes. You know, or they've become sick because people, I don't want to say the wrong thing. So I'm just going to stay away. That's right. Yeah. If you can post something or if you can reach out to people, you know what? This sucks. I'm having a pity party. Everybody come along with your own pity and let's, let's make fun of this. And sometimes, you know, I remember with some friends many years ago, everybody had something wrong with them. So we were taking the letters in, in, in our particular ailments and playing Scrabble with them. Those are the only letters we could play Scrabble with. So, yeah, you, you've got those restrictions, but it doesn't mean that you can't live life and enjoy life. And exactly. All of things and just get out there and live. And and when you do that, you also realize you're not alone. Like everybody's dealing with something. And again, then I think when we, we close off and we keep it to ourselves and we make it very serious. And I'm not and I'm not saying, you know, there's going to be times when I think you will feel angry. You will feel sad. Humor is not the right thing. And one of the things I've learned is just right. accept whatever's there. But there is a certain point when you can have some fun. And I think it also helps us not be so alone because all of us can have a little bit of fun together. So I love that. And I will, I will take that example of a pity party next time I'm feeling that and invite some other people. You know, everybody have a good old bitch fest, you know, and uh-huh. clears the air, you end up laughing at it. Yes. And you kind of look at it afterwards and go, well, why did I even give you time? Right? Exactly. But, you exactly. know, we're on our own, we're inclined to magnify it. If yes. we're other people and everybody's got a little bitch to, to share on it, then we're all spending it and then all being there to support each other at the end of it. That's right. And I think you, you, you come down to something that's so core. You know, in the end of the day, we're all interconnected. And, you know, if we can give up, there's me over here and you over there. And we just start realizing that how I show up, my energy affects you and your energy affects another. Like, do you know, in the, at the beginning of the day, you go to a coffee shop and if someone is kind to you, what's a spring in your step? But if someone's rude to you, all of a sudden you turn around and be rude to someone else. And so I really am a believer in we're interconnected. Our energy shifts the energy of other people. It can have a massive impact throughout the day and throughout our lives. So just being aware of that is so important. And how you can make someone stay that way. You go to the barista. She's on the the hundredth 
uh, latte, soy, this, that, etc. type thing, you know, and and they're just saying, you know, how's your day going? That bad, hey? You know, you know what? It's going to change from now because what you've done is acknowledged that this is a hundred coffee. They've done this way or they come to work feeling down or feeling agitated. And it's just seeing them as a human being. Yes. They, you know, I've got you. You're okay. You know, you're going to have great for the rest of the day. It changes the frequency, changes that energy. I, I remember a couple of weeks ago, I was visiting some friends uh, and uh, I was just having a bad day health-wise and I was not able to focus. I was not able to, to do work. And my friend's husband, uh, I, I told him, I'm not having a great day. He's like, turn off your computer. We're going to have dinner and we are going to have a great dinner. Yes. And that, that was it. In just a moment, my energy shifted. And that one small phrase, just gave me a lot of freedom. And, you know, one of the other things I've learned, Sarah, is we should also tell people. And so I used to be someone who'd have a lot of love and appreciation for people. And I didn't tell them. I thought it was weird. You know, mm -hmm. I don't want to tell a coworker how much I appreciate them because that's strange. People don't do that. But this year I lost all of my fear because when you think you're not going to make it, you start not worrying about little things like that. So now I tell people more often, you know, I say, you know, when you checked in on me, that made such a difference in my life. And, you know, I'm so thankful for that. Or, yeah. you know, when I had a friend of mine who would show up with his dog and he would come and take me for walks when I first wasn't able to walk on my own. And, you know, I, I keep telling him what a difference that made. And I think we can, we can just be a little bit more expressive and not just kind of have small talk, but also tell people when they make a difference just say it. It maybe feel weird at first because we're not used to it, but over time, maybe we'll develop a new way of being with one another. Yeah, permission to still be them. Yes, that's with, exactly right. You know, it's like you, you don't need to filter, all right? I mean, obviously, if somebody's died or you've just been diagnosed with something, no, that's not the time to drop the humor bomb. Yes. The compassion, that's the yes. compassion. The humor comes later when, when they're, you know, now the wibbly wobbly and, and you make fun of the wibbly wobblies and say okay how long are you going to be a wibbly wobbly for let's get you straight you know and approaching it in that way but it, it, we've still got to be very mindful and if we come from the compassionate place yes. uh, then people feel because a lot of the time and i'm sure you did too um you feel oh god i'm a burden yes yes that was you know one of the things i learned about that by the way sarah i had that many times and I had this with people in my life who would just keep offering me things. And, and particularly with them, I'd think, wow, you know, gosh, I'm a burden. And one of the new things that I learned is when I'm feeling that, I've communicated now. And so what happened was I had a few friends and I said, do you know what, will you tell me if this is too much? And what was amazing is one of them said, yes. One of them was a doctor who was dealing with a lot of other things and said, you know what, yes, I'm dealing with so much. You're usually the person who's optimistic in my life. And actually, I don't, you know, I need that from you. And so that was great because actually in communicating, I could be that way. Another friend said, not at all. Like I actually, it helps me feel more connected. It helps me feel more helpful. And so then instead of worrying every moment, am I being a burden? I just said, okay, well, if it ever gets too much, you let me know. But that's one of the other things I learned when we have this inner dialogue why not just ask and if you can be with any response like I was able to be with the response that yes can you be with me in a different way or no continue to be with me I could actually be with anything it was just that internal dialogue that was eating me up yeah. you know the the expectation you know of how somebody's going to react also the expectation from the expectors of how they think you should react um it is, you know, break the ice, you know, don't yes. assume, just have a conversation. You know what, guys, this sucks. It's limited, it limited me. I don't know where I'm going to go from here because it's new territory. I'm navigating it. If you wish to still be with me in any way, I would love that. If you feel uncomfortable, I understand that. But yes. by saying that is, you know, is removing that big wall. And some people may walk away. Yeah, they, yeah. Right. This is when you know who your friends are. Yeah. And sometimes we don't even have to judge people, right? In this time of collective trauma, if someone said to me, I need some space because I'm dealing with something, to be honest, that's helpful to know. And, and other people, yes, you do discover there's some people that, that you discover, maybe they're, they're not as close to you and you discover new people in your life. So yes, I believe everything can be solved through conversation. And I think what we just have to get over is the fear 
And one of the things I've learned to get over the fear is just start small, right? If you've never had a conversation like this before, start with one person and give it a shot. And it's going to feel weird at first, but the second or third or fourth time you do this, not only will it stop feeling weird, but people might feel comfortable doing that with other people in their life. And all of a sudden you're making a real difference. Sorry, did we drop you? No, I'm here. Okay. Um, we have certainly seen through this last 18 months, those that have stepped up in compassion and the way we've been there for each other. And it was the hope that we would as human beings see how utterly amazing we are when we're there for one another. Yes. And how when we come together that we can achieve anything. Um, you know, now things are supposed to be back to normal, which it certainly isn't and never will be, you know, normal. But the old normal wasn't healthy anyway. Uh, the virus is still around. And as you said, you've got the residual from it and you don't know where it's going to take you in the future, but you've got the right attitude in addressing it. We're still kind of a little bit in unknown territory. Yes. Now, what we can do most certainly is be kind first to ourselves. Yes. If, if you find you can't cope or it's all too much, it's okay. Take time out, you know, do something for yourself. Um, and we've got to be kind to one another. Yes. And that kindness that, you know, we saw what that kindness did in the beginning. That doesn't mean it stops now. It means that it continues on. And the fact that the gift you were given was to write this book and you've written the book. You didn't just wallow in, oh, God, my life is changed. I can't do this. I can't do that. It's like, okay, what can I do? Oh, the fingers are working. Type, type, type. <laughs> yes. Plenty in the head to come out on. <laughs> and you've got this book now that can be not only helping people through where they are right now, you know, with the pandemic, but also helping people through any form of redirection they get. Because... It, it, it does initially cripplize you. Yes. You get that cosmic two by four. You're, you know, everything you've known is not the same anymore. You're wobbly on your legs and you don't know where you're going. And having somebody who's been there, done that, and just say, look, this is how I felt. And this is what I've done. And this is the mindset. Because that's what really has to come into it first is the dialogue with self. And this is the way you can do it. So how do people get hold of this wonderful book? Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, so you can find it on my website, bravenowbook.com, or you can purchase it online on Amazon, look up my name, Radha Ruparel, or the name of the book, Brave Now, Rise Through Struggle and Unlock Your Greatest Self. And it's just, again, a little bit of my personal story, but more 19 super practical lessons, a very easy read yeah. for dealing with any turning point in your life. So yeah, it's not just to do with COVID, right? These are uh, um, adoptable and adaptable lessons to anything that you're doing in your life. Exactly, exactly. And I just hope that some of the freedom and joy and connection I've had the privilege of experiencing because of wise people in my life who've taught me great lessons and what I've discovered, I can pass on to, to some other people. So I and hope you, you know, enjoy it. That you're passing it on in your leadership. Your leadership would have changed quite a bit through going yes. through the process. And so you most likely a better leader and will create better leaders because of it. So there's always a reason for something, right? Yes. The yes then when you're living in that reason and there's a new chapter to learn, suddenly what you have can either diminish or go away altogether. One doesn't know. But it's that willingness still to carry on. Right? Yes, indeed. Um, yes, indeed. On, on a cart with only three wheels, it's okay. We'll get there. It might be a bit slow, but we'll get there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Sarah. It's been such a pleasure. Give out your um, Instagram and your LinkedIn. And uh, if you're on Facebook, give those out as well. But would you also spell your name for people who are looking up from your name's point of view? Yes. So my name is Radha, R-A-D-H-A. And the last name is Ruparel, R-U-P-A-R-E-L-L. -L, and you can find me on Instagram and LinkedIn at, at Radha Ruparel. Excellent. And the site for the book is Brave Now Book. And also you can get it on Amazon. But if you go to her site, she's got many other things going on there as well. Thank you for coming and sharing, love. This has been wonderful. Um, you know, as I said, a lot of people, either, you know, they're just concentrating on the recovering and they're not thinking about putting an out a book, you know, they're just living day by day. And even though you have got these challenges and yes, you see, you don't know where they're going to go. Um, I do predict you're going to get pretty well full body um, action coming back. Um, but 
this was your redirect to write this book, to learn this lesson, to be a better leader, to show other people more compassion, for them to realize they need to be more compassionate because it's through this that everybody benefits. So um, may you find that good, healthy health again. But thank you for writing the book and uh, being that beacon of hope for other people. Thank you, Sarah. Lovely being with you. And to everyone else out there, remember, it doesn't matter what's hit you or what's knocked you down. The challenge now is getting back up and understanding why and what it is you're meant to do now. Don't be afraid of it. It's just a wondrous journey. Be engaged. Until next time, bye for now. We hope that you enjoyed the show. You will hear many, many shows here on selfdiscoverymedia.com. We have new shows for you out every week. Just find them on our podcast or, or what's new. If you feel that you have something to share that makes a difference in the lives of others, or you too feel that you could be a host, please contact me at info at selfdiscoverymedia.com and we will be glad to speak with you. Have a wonderful day.